Acts chapter 6, we pick it up, uh, teaching in verse 8. And it says, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they went about, or they were not able to resist the wisdom of the Spirit. And the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place in the law. For we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council looked steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. Last week, we saw uh, the enemy working to divide this early church, to destroy this early church through a tactic, uh, you know, of divide and conquer. He brought this accusation forward through certain people uh, that their widows were being, uh, you know, discriminated against. They, they were being uh, overlooked in the daily distribution and again, we said last week, hey, that, it may have been an honest oversight, but the enemy seeks to use these things, these unintentional wrongs, to bring division. He blows it up out of proportion. And, uh, you know, that's what we saw last week. We also noted last week that the apostles very wisely, when they were brought this, uh, you know, complaint, they saw that trying to do everything in the church themselves, trying to meet every need uh, that rose up themselves, it, it wasn't what they should be about. They shouldn't do that because the reason is that it would take them away from what it is that God had called them to. You know, and, and they realized their calling was, and it's described in verse four, if you look up at it, that they were to give themselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. So the apostles saw the need to raise up others to come alongside them to share in the work of the ministry. And again, it's here in Acts 6. This is the first place where we see men, men new to the faith, men who were not part of the original group of followers of Jesus Christ when he was um, ministering here on earth. But this is the first place we see them raising, being raised up for the work of the ministry. The apostles, in an act of agape love, they want to see the needs of, of everyone being met. It's their heart to see the needs of, of the, the, the Hellenist widows being met. So they went to the Hellenists, those that brought the complaints to them, and, and they said, hey, listen, choose seven men. Men who uh, could be raised up for the purpose of practical ministry. You know, we also talked about the differences between the ministry, the differences in the ministry of the elders and the deacons within the church. You know, and if there is any question in your mind regarding the specific qualifications or the roles of the elders and deacons of the churches, uh, you know, I encourage you to go back, listen to last week's study again, take a careful look at the verses that we considered, the ones that we looked at, and then pray over them. 
You know, we want to be like the Bereans, right? We want to check things out for ourselves. We want to see, you guys want to see, keep me honest. You want to see if the things that I'm saying are actually, you know, accurately reflected in the Word of God. You know, I'm teaching from the Word of God accurately. And so we want to be like the Bereans. And again, what we looked at last week was the first group of guys that were raised up for practical ministry in the church. And we saw the initial qualifications. They're laid out uh, in this chapter in verse 3. They were to be men of good reputation. You know, last week we noticed that the literal meaning of the Greek uh, there of good reputation means of good witness. They're to be uh, good men in character and conduct. And they were to be men who were full of the Holy Spirit. And that is that they're, they're guided by the Holy Spirit in ways that are evident to people outside of the church, looking in. They were to be spiritually minded men. Right? Being full of the Holy Spirit also means you're on fire for Jesus Christ. And they were to be men full of wisdom. That was the third characteristic they laid out. Men who were led by the Holy Spirit in their decisions. In brief, these men who were to be who were being raised up, as well as men within the church today, serving in the church. They're to be faithful men, men full of faith. That's what faithful means. <laughs> Literally means full of faith, right? Men who have denied themselves, men who have picked up their cross and are following after Jesus. And I take the time uh, to remind you of these things this morning because these are the things that we should desire in our lives as Christians, right? We should desire that people inside of the church and outside of the church would see us as men and women of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And the good news is, if that's actually your desire, the good news is, the desire to be Men and women of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, is not out of your reach. That's the good news. And it is something that is available to each one of us as we seek after the Lord with the whole heart. As we seek to simply obey Him in all things. As we seek to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. You know, walking worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Walking in a manner that's worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in our knowledge of God. That should be our aim as believers. That should be the goal of every believer because that's God's heart for us as believers. It says in verse 8, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. We were introduced to Stephen back in verse 5, you know. And uh, what we know of Stephen is that he was a man full of, a man full of faith and, and of the Holy Spirit. And my question this morning is, where did Stephen get this faith of his? And you know, it says in Romans 10, 17, you know the verse, faith comes by hearing 
and hearing by the word of God. Right? My suggestion to you this morning is that Stephen was a man of the word. Right? We're going to see in the next chapter, Acts chapter 7, Stephen preaching to the, to the Jewish religious leaders. And, and by the way, if you don't know it, his teaching in Acts chapter 7 is the longest recorded sermon in the New Testament by someone other than Jesus Christ. Right? But as Stephen is preaching, he's preaching, he's sharing from the Old Testament, and he quotes many verses from memory, you know, out of the Old Testament. Stephen knew the Word. Stephen read the Word. He immersed himself in the study of the Word. He took time to meditate on the Word. He sought to apply the Word to his life. And as a result, tremendous faith grew in his heart. Faith in, faith in uh, his Savior. Now, someone might say, I try to think of questions what people might raise up. Maybe none of you would say this, but I think someone might say, you know, I don't know. How can reading the Bible increase my faith? My answer to that is in every way. In every way. It exposes you to God's heart. You know, it reveals to you God's nature. It demonstrates to you God's ability and power. And it shows repeated cases of God's willingness and, and desire to do great things on behalf of his people. You know, people like you and I, ordinary people. And as we embrace God's heart, God's nature... God's ability and power and God's desire uh, to work on our behalf, we're encouraged and emboldened to come to him and to ask him to meet us in the current situation, in the current circumstances, to meet us, you know, in regards to the needs that we're facing. And as he does, it reinforces what we already know about him. So that we're encouraged to learn more about him. Encouraged to dive deeper into his word. And then what happens is the cycle repeats itself. I mean, it's just genius. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. You know what? Show me a person who struggles in their faith. And I'll show you a person uh, who's not given over to the word of God. Generally speaking, that's just the truth of the matter. Well, not only was Stephen full of faith, but verse 8 says he was also full of power. You know, it was the unlimited power of the almighty God that was working in and through his life. It's the same power that God desires to work in and through each one of us. God is looking for men and women of faith, men and women of the word, Men and women who are willing to take a step of faith, willing to attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. Some may be tempted to think, you know what? That's just pie in the sky. You know, that's just what pastors say to, to get us amped up, to get us excited. You know, the reality is something that is a lot, lot less. And that's not true. It's not true at all. You know, God is looking for people. He's even searching 
for people, right? Who will give him the opportunity to do great things in and through their lives. People like you and I. But it all starts with knowing the word of God, being men and women of the word. The word produces faith. Faith produces a willingness to trust God. You know, and that opens doors for God to work uninhibited, unrestricted, doing whatever it is that he wants to do, accomplishing whatever it is he wants to accomplish in and through our lives. It reminds me of verses like Psalm 46, 10. One of my favorite verses. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Without knowing the word of God, without knowing the heart and nature of God, without knowing the power and ability of God, how can anyone be still in the face of overwhelming difficulties or just in everyday difficulties? How can a person do that? But on the other hand, when the word of God produces, you know, an understanding in our hearts of who God is, an understanding of what God wants to do, what he's capable of doing, then I can trust him to do all that's in his heart on my, my behalf. Uninhibited, unrestricted, resulting in him being exalted in my life, as well as being exalted in the eyes of the people, you know, that are close around me, in the vicinity around me, and exalted in the eyes of the world as a whole. Second Chronicles 16, 9. Again, it's another verse you guys all know. It's one of my favorite verses too. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. In other words, he's searching. He is searching. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. That's God's desire. He desires to show himself strong. He desires to do great things on behalf of his people, on behalf of those who have loyal hearts towards him. The Hebrew word that's translated loyal in that verse actually means a heart that's made ready, perfect, complete, at peace, a heart that's quiet. And that's exactly what the the Word of God does in our hearts. As we give ourselves to knowing God's Word, it makes makes us ready for God to work. The Bible teaches us that the Word washes over us, it cleanses us, it sanctifies us. It's through God's Word that we can receive comfort and peace, a sense of quiet and calm. It's through God's word that we uh, can come to uh, a unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, a mature man, uh, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. And that's the man or woman. It's that man or woman, I should say. It's that man or woman, the perfect or mature man or woman. It's that man or woman that God is looking for so that he might show himself strong on their behalf.
Another one of my favorite verses, Daniel eleven thirty two, And it's best in the New King James Version. It says, the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. I mean, that's the type of man that Stephen was. A man of the word. A man full of faith in God. A man who knew God. And that's what allowed the power uh, uh, of God to work through him, as it says in verse 8, doing great wonders and signs among the people. And again, you don't want to miss it. The absolute unvarnished truth of the matter is that same power is available to each of us. You know what? Don't make any mistake about it. Don't diminish it. Don't downplay it. Don't, you know... uh, disregard it. The truth is God wants to do great things. He wants to do great wonders and signs in and through you and I as we go forward in Jesus Christ. And I believe it with all of my heart. I am willing to stake my life on that. The only question is, are you, am I, are we willing to be Men and women of faith. Men and women of the word. Will we be men and women of the word? Totally given over to the word. Knowing it inside and out. Being able to handle it properly. Allowing it to wash over our lives. Producing in us the faith that delights God. Again, the eyes of the Lord are searching throughout the whole earth. Looking for a man or woman whose heart is loyal to him. So that he can show himself strong on their behalf. And every time I read that, every time I read that verse, my question is, and my question to you this morning is, why not you be that man or woman? Seriously, why not? Why not? Verse 9. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. It's interesting to me, in Acts 21, we're going to get there in a few weeks, but in Acts 21, when Paul was arrested in the temple for allegedly bringing in a Gentile into the temple, you remember the story, right? He identifies himself as a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia. You know, it just makes me wonder, if Paul was one of these men who were disputing with Stephen here. You know, uh, if not out front leading the dispute, I wonder if he was just one of the men in the group. I mean, think about it. Where did Luke get the details of what we're looking at today and in in the next few weeks, chapter 7? Where did he get the details? Like, they disputed with Stephen, but they couldn't resist his wisdom. That the scribes and the elders were uh, part of the group that uh, seized Stephen, you know, that, that they gathered these, these false witnesses to testify against him. And then the detail that's very specific. Where did Luke get the detail that Stephen's face was the face of an angel? It shined like an angel. We, got, we need to understand Luke was the traveling companion of Paul during his second and third missionary journeys, and then on into Rome. It's very possible that Luke is getting the story from Paul, who had a first-hand account because he was there. 
Now, I wouldn't be dogmatic about this. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say so. We can't be sure. But I think it's an interesting possibility. In verse 10, it says, And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. They were unable to resist. They were unable to stand against. They were unable to refute. They were unable to oppose Stephen and his wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. And it's so instructive to me. Stephen was a man of the word. Therefore, he was able to rest and trust in the Lord uh, in, in each and every circumstances, uh, knowing that the battle is a spiritual battle. It's not a fleshly battle. Ephesians 6.12, again, another verse you guys are well aware of. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness and the heavenly places. Being a man of the word, Stephen knew that the fight was a spiritual battle, right? And he's very aware of how God has repeatedly delivered his people in difficult times. And because of that, Stephen was able to trust and just rest in God. He was at peace. He wasn't anxious at all. He wasn't worrying. He wasn't fretting. You know, and I'm sure that that infuriated those, those opponents of his, those guys that are trying to resist and refute his wisdom. Stephen believed what Jesus said in Luke 21, 14 and 15. Jesus said, Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. I mean, it's exactly what we're seeing happening here uh, with Stephen. It's God's promise fulfilled in Stephen's life. But when these men couldn't put a stop to Stephen and his wisdom by which he spoke, they resorted to the same tactics that they used against Jesus. False witnesses, false accusations, they're stirring up the people. I mean, listen, <laughs> It just happens to be the devil's playbook, right? The devil is very much, uh, if it's not broke, don't fix it kind of guy, right? And these tactics have been very successful for him throughout the ages. They're working for him even today, right? So he continues to use them. This is, this is the one or two arrows he has in his quiver to shoot at us. In verse 11, it says, then they secretly induced men to say, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. Stephen didn't say any of those things. You know, it was all a lie. Turn with me to John chapter 15, okay? John chapter 15. Okay, I'm slow there this morning. 11, 12, 20, back, 15. Okay. 
We there? John chapter 15, Jesus said, starting at verse 18, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you're not of this world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The attacks come because we're not of this world. We're citizens of heaven. And the world hates us for that reason. Now, keep your finger here in John because we're going to turn back to it. But keep your finger here and turn over to um, 1 Peter. There, the way I remember where 1 Peter is, is after Hebrews, you, Hebrews, you got the boys. You got James, you got Peter, you know, John and Jude. 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 12, Peter says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trials, which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. And when his glory is revealed, you also may be glad with exceeding joy. If you're reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he's blasphemed. But on your part, he's glorified. Peter says, it's, it's something that you can count on. Right? You can expect attacks. You can expect fiery trials, you know, and troubles. Uh, they're going to come your way. It's going to happen, right? The more you seek after the Lord... There's going to be more false accusations. There's going to, you're going to experience more persecution. And it's only going to get worse for us as we draw closer to the time that our Savior comes again. It's only going to get worse. And Peter says these attacks, these fiery trials and persecutions are to be viewed by us as a blessing. <laughs> Can you believe it? Can you look at your trials as a blessing? Can you look at the things that you're going through as a blessing? Turn back to John 15, okay? And you can read John 15 with me. Again, starting in verse 18. Jesus said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world will love its own. Yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they, they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, verse 22, they would have, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me and hates us by proxy hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Persecution false accusations, 
these things happen to us because they see Jesus in us. Right? The more we desire to live for Jesus, the more the world is going to hate us. But it's okay. Listen, don't be discouraged by it. Jesus said, Matthew 5, 11 and 12, he said, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. He says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. No one ever heard Stephen speak about destroying the temple or doing away with the law. They were all false accusations. They were all lies. But these false accusers, they're probably thinking back, remembering hearing Jesus say, destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up. But he was speaking of the temple of his, of his uh, body. Again, the accusations they leveled against Stephen, they're the same accusations that they leveled against Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let's look at, take a closer look at the accusations. They accuse Stephen of speaking against the temple. It's just a place. And then they accused him of speaking against the law. In a real sense, the law is it's just procedures, right? They were all worked up and upset with Stephen for speaking against a place and a procedure, right? Which the Jews thought would produce righteousness in them. You know, they thought that they gained an acceptance with God because of them. They thought, you know what? You know, they, they thought that they just got a pass, that they were automatically, you know, righteous because, uh, you know, uh, they had the temple and the law. But Stephen knew that righteousness and acceptance with God doesn't come from a place or a procedure. It comes from a person the person of Jesus Christ. And Stephen trusted in Jesus Christ. He placed his faith in him. And because of that, he was at perfect peace, right? Which is a result of a relationship with the Lord. And Stephen, his peace, it was evident on his face. Verse 15 says, And all who sat in the council looked steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. Stephen enjoyed peace that surpassed all understanding. Again, it's a promise in the Bible to each one of us, right? He had that peace in the midst of very difficult trial, right? In the face of false accusations. And he had that peace because he knew the Lord. Another wonderful and comforting verse to me. Again, you know this verse too, Isaiah 26, 3, right? It says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on you because he trusts in you. I also love Ephesians 2.14. For he, speaking of Jesus, for he himself is our peace. Right? Beautiful. John, uh, sorry, Jesus said in John 16.33, you know, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you have tribulation, okay? But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus is our peace. Peace in the world is fleeting. But peace, the peace that we have in Jesus is forever. The more 
we give ourselves to the Word of God, the more we know about Him. The more we know about Him, the more we fall in love with God. The more we fall in love with God, the more we're willing to yield to Him, to trust ourselves to Him. The more we yield to Him uh, and trust in Him, the more He can do in and through our lives. Right? Uninhibited, unrestricted. And the beauty of it all is the more He does in and through our lives, the more we want to give ourselves over to Him in order that He can do even greater things, you know, to the praise of His glory. And the peace of God is going to show on your face as you engage in those things. And it will be there for the whole world to see as we're being conformed daily into the image of the Son. People will see Jesus in and through our lives and our faces will reflect it. And our faces will reflect Him. And I mean, really, isn't that what you want in your life? Isn't that what you want from your Christianity? Isn't that the way you want to be described at the end of your life? You know, a person who reflected Jesus, a person who shines for Jesus, a person who allows the life of Jesus to be expressed through their lives. And that's what I want in my life. That's what I want people to think about me and say about me. I mean, we are very privileged and blessed because we're in this season where we're celebrating Ron Hall's life. And that's what people are, said, are saying about Ron. He's an example to us, an encouragement to go forward in that, right? Just being in the Word, drinking it in, absorbing it into every fiber of our being, and then just simply being obedient to what it says. One of my favorite quotes from a great man of God comes from D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was probably the greatest American evangelist ever. And D.L. Moody said, and these things just have sunk deep into my heart. He says, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man or a woman for that matter. But the world has yet to see what God can do with a man that is wholly given over to him. And again, I say, why not you be that man or woman? Why not me? Right? Why not decide today to give yourself so completely, so utterly, so totally over to him, opening the door to him to do whatever it is he wants to do, uninhibited, unrestricted, in and through your life to the praise of his glory. You know, I don't sleep really well on Saturday nights. <laughs> Some days, man, I sleep like a baby. But most of the time, I just got things running through. You know, I'm going through the Bible study. I'm thinking, did I miss? Did I explain? Did I, did I want to say this? Did I want to say that? How, how could I say it better? And last night, as I was praying and confessing to the Lord, this is what I truly believe. This is not, you know, pie in the sky. This is what the Bible teaches. I believe it with all my heart. And as I'm telling this to the Lord, I'm confessing it. I started to think of each of you today. I started seeing each of you. You came to my mind because mostly we're an older congregation. 
right? And maybe because of that fact, we're an older congregation, you know, you might be tempted to think, you know, it's a good message, but I'm past all that. I'm in my twilight years, you know. Gary, that's a message for a younger generation. I don't believe that. I don't believe that's true. You know, a beautiful thing that the Lord showed me about 2 Chronicles 16.9. Throw it up again, please. The beautiful thing that the Lord showed me some years ago about this verse is it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Notice what it doesn't say in that verse. It doesn't say, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for a young man or a woman. It doesn't say that. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for a man with a full head of hair. I'm thankful it doesn't say that. It says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of of those whose hearts are loyal to him. What God is looking for in us, right? What God is looking for is a man or a woman with a loyal heart. Age isn't an issue, right? A man or a woman that's given over to the word. A man or woman that will allow God to do great things through him. He's searching for that person. This is great things is what he promises for that person. And I got to tell you, my heart, if you're here today, and of course you are here today. <laughs> I'm the funniest person I know sometimes. If you're here today, if you're watching online, if you're breathing this morning, if you have a pulse this morning, God's desire is to use you in great ways to draw other people to himself. Let's give him a chance. Let's give ourselves to the Lord completely, totally, holding nothing back. And let's see what he'll do. I believe, and I believe it with all my heart. I believe that our best days are before us, right? The days that have gone be, before us, the days that are behind us, those were all preparatory for the things that lie ahead, right? Our de best days are before us if we'll let God do what he wants to do, if we'll be men and women of the word, if we'll have a loyal heart, an obedient heart to him. And I believe if we'll do those things, God will blow us away. He'll astonish us. We'll marvel with all the different, wonderful, amazing ways that he'll use us for his glory. I believe it with all my heart. Let's pray. Father, that is my confession. And Lord, I desire to be that man. I can't pray for my brothers, and, or I can't speak for my brothers and sisters, but I can pray for them. And I believe that that's a word from you that sparks their heart. They desire that very same thing. Lord, I agree with Paul when it said that in this flesh, nothing good dwells. Lord, we need you. We need you. We have a history with you. We've seen how good you've been. We've, we've 
uh, experienced your patience, your blessings, your love, your grace, your mercy. Lord, help us to look at our past and surrender completely our future so that you can do all that you want to do in, in this world through us. That you would use us to bring glory to your name, to bring honor to your name in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, Lord. Use us mightily. We give you praise and glory, Jesus, in your name. Amen.